Good morning, Journey Church. Welcome to the start of spring break. For those of us who are in here not at the beach, it's all right. There'll be other times. Uh, and good morning to those who are joining us online. We're so glad you're here. Uh, a lot of the sixth and seventh graders who I get to lead in a small group on Wednesday nights are out and about. And I just want to give Pax and the group a shout out. There are a couple in here today as well. I want to give uh, Caleb and Sam a shout out. Thank you all for being here. We want to talk about treasure and seeking treasure and treasure today. Um, it, growing up, did you ever keep like a treasure box and you have little things in there that were just important to you? I had one of my sons this past week show me his treasure box and in there were pieces of broken green glass he found in the backyard and a couple of rocks and uh, a cross necklace we had given to him a couple years ago. It really wasn't a treasure to me, but it was to him. It was very important to him. Do y'all remember growing up uh, having those different types of things that you kept and, and that you treasured? Do you, you remember going on a treasure hunt as a kid? They're so fun. Um, about a year ago, about this time, our boys uh, came home from school on a Friday, and taped to our door was an envelope. And it began an eight-week uh, treasure hunt for them. Um, you may not know this, but in the early 1900s, um, there was an exhibit of ancient coins in Barrow County, where we live, and they were robbed. And the guys, the thieves, were running for their lives, hid that treasure on our property. And so the, the game master, every Friday, would leave this envelope for eight straight weeks typed to tape to our door, and, and the boys would tear it open, and it would have all kinds of different clues in it. Some of the clues would be, uh, go to your favorite book, and you had to do a math problem that gave him a page number. And on that page number, this game master had underlined a letter. And they collected all these letters, which gave him further puzzle clues, which led them. Uh, it was even one thing that was a picture, artwork in our house that was cut up. And they put it together. It was keys behind the picture. And those keys led to digging things on the property that led to more boxes and more keys. It was eight weeks of the most amazing joy and fun you saw in our boys' faces as they just were each week just excited there's something else that happens at our house on fridays called friday chore day that's the day the boys do all their chores get the house cleaned up for the weekend and something began to happen during this eight week of treasure hunting they started getting together on thursday night and they moved friday chore night to thursday chore night you would hear the little conversations guys if if we get this done on thursday then we'll be free to come home right away and start working on the treasure it began to sharpen their focus everything all week long well daddy you think it's going to be this and you think it's going to be this and what's going on was all about the treasure everything that they thought about everything they focused on was about this treasure they eventually at the end result would find this big treasure chest and they would open it up and in it was a full of these ancient coins from all around the world FYI, you can get a real cheap bag of those off of Amazon. And also, there were these current, they haven't figured it out yet, $20 bills um, that were in there, and they were just so excited. Um, they, they just, it became, their entire focus was on this treasure. If I said right now that somewhere in this room, there's an envelope with $1,000 in it. Now, April Fool's a couple days ago, so it's not really. There would be this, all of a sudden, this, this adrenaline, this focus. Hey, there's an envelope in here with $1,000. There's this something that happens when we attach the hunt of a treasure. Movies have explored it for years, Indiana Jones and, and National Treasure. There are corporations right now that pay millions of dollars that have expeditions looking for old Spanish treasure out in the oceans right now. 
There's just something that goes on that when we talk about treasure, that we ascribe value to it. And that's where Jesus begins to approach, and we'll read it in a few moments, not yet, but Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46, and primarily verse 44, and we'll get to it in a moment. There's going to be a verse, a one-sentence parable that Jesus begins to teach. Now, I want you to imagine, I want to set the scene first. Jesus is under a lot of stress. He has got all kinds of groups with their agendas and expectations coming to him. Everything you can think of. I mean, you've got skeptics. You've got people that are there because, Jesus, you, you fed my buddies a couple weeks ago. I heard about it. Are you going to feed me now? You're healing this person. Will you heal my family? Um, you've got people there who are under uh, just a brutal dictatorship of the Roman rule. They're under Herod locally, who is very corrupt. So you have a lot of injustice and things that aren't fair in the world, and they're looking to Jesus. Will you make things right you're going, to be, you're going to come in here and you're going to wipe the Roman rule out and you're going to get rid of King Herod and you're going to put yourself in charge and you're going to make my life much more comfortable and happy and better. Yay. That he had those people in the audience. He had religious leaders who were jealous and were wanting to have nothing to do with him but were there every day trying to set a trap. We want to trap this guy so we can imprison him and, and we can get him off the stage here so we can go back to being the ones in charge that people looked up to. All these different elements. And here's Jesus hearing all this. He's even got his own inner circle, his disciples arguing in the background, who's the favorite? Who's the best? What do you think? And they would just compete. And meanwhile, he had a mission. And he's trying to teach that mission while he's there to those around him. And so he begins to use parables to, to, to confront all these different folks that are in the group, all these different factions. And he's a master teacher. See, a parable is a teaching technique. It tells stories, and it usually has one major point. And Jesus would take this point a, a deep further, a step further, and he would use parables to teach deep truths about himself and his kingdom and his mission. He wanted to provide new layers of perspectives. And all these different groups, he was saying, time out, release your agendas, let go of why you think I'm here and what I'm saying, and listen deeply to what I'm really saying. If you have ears to hear and you really probe what I'm saying, you'll begin to understand. He would teach parables and things like my kingdom. It's like yeast and putting in a lump of dough. You know, over time, you, won't, you don't see that yeast. You don't see it. But wow, the influence it has over time. And 2,000 years later, we're seeing that, that kingdom of God continuing to grow and grow and grow. You would see him begin to teach the parables. You think one way, but my kingdom and being part of my kingdom, it has upside-down values of what you think. The first will be last, and the last shall be first. The, the poor will be inherit the earth. God's kingdom, the one I'm talking about and I'm preaching about, Jesus would say, it requires a decision. He would use parable of the landowner, parable of the talents. So you could ask these, why can't you just be more clear? Why can't you just say what you want to say and mean it? Why use these parables, these riddles sometimes? You see, he was making bold claims about who he is and why he was there, especially for those who were really trying to listen and were there for the right motives. And if you had the right motives, you would uncover those truths. But he was also trying to disguise and hold back from those that weren't there for the right reasons. Because only in the, his time, after three years of public ministry, only on the Father's time schedule was he meant to head to a death on a cross. And so you would see these parables begin to be taught. 
And a lot of times he would explain the parables to the disciples in a circle behind the scenes. And see, what he was teaching them is, I'm not here to come and rule as your king and conqueror. I'm not here to make the political landscape the way you want it to be. I'm not here to, to overthrow the Roman government. I'm here as a self-giving servant who would die on a cross for each and every one of you. This death would be temporary. So parables help explain who Jesus was, what he's up to. They're like, have you ever got a pebble, a little rock in your shoe, a little piece of wood, and you're sitting there walking going, That's, what is going on? So you stop, you take the shoe out. It's like a hook. Parables are meant to make you a little uncomfortable, a little like time out, stop. I want you to give attention to these words I'm about to say. So the first point this morning is don't let your expectations this morning of who and what you think Jesus should and does in your life get in the way of the reality of who he really is and what he really wants to do in your life. So let's take a look at the text here. Um, Matthew 13, 44 through 46, but we're primarily going to be uh, studying 44 this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. At verse 44 again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. First part of this verse uses a phrase that's used over 150 times in the Gospels. It says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus often in his parables has taken this idea, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is like this. What's going on here? A lot of times we can read this wrongly and think that heaven is this future far off place. And that's not what the writers of the Gospels are doing here. You have to read this from, a, from where Jesus was in the Jewish times and understand the way that the Hebrews were thinking. It's not just about a future far off place that one day we're going to get to go to, this kingdom of heaven. The phrase kingdom of heaven, majority of the times in the gospel, is not talking about the future heaven. There's other places in the Bible that's taught. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus is teaching. He says, from the time on, Jesus began to preach Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come to you, has come near to you. What he's saying is, it's me. I, and everything I'm teaching and everything I'm doing, I, it's a system, it's an environment, it's a culture, it's a worldview. I am the kingdom of heaven. It's here on earth right now, and I am here to give it to you. It's not just a place. And so the danger can come for us in Christianity, in our walk with God, when we change the end result from a person to a place. And we miss the whole point. The kingdom of heaven is not just a place that one day, as Christians, we're going to. It's in the person in, of Jesus Christ. It embodies him. It's, it's what he was here for. In Hebrew thought, spiritual things were not just future off. It was life. It was this right now. So when you view the truth of the Gospels in that incorrect light, kingdom of heaven, off in the future someday. One day everything will be made right, and one thing will be in heaven, everything will be perfect, and there will be no sadness, and there will be no tears, and there will be no hunger, and there will be no sickness, which are all true. 
we tend to push the reality of the, the, the realities of Jesus for now to that, we miss out on so much. Kingdom of heaven kind of becomes a, yeah, I know. I know the truths of the gospel. We kind of discount the rest of the verse or we push it down the road to the future. And if we're not careful, we begin to just live for heaven and not for Jesus today. And want to make sure I've done the right thing so that when it's time for me to be in heaven one day, I've got that covered. And we're missing out on the same point. We become one of the many people in the crowd with different agendas and different motives than what Jesus intended for us to have. We live for heaven, not for Jesus. We can live for a place and not for a person. Jesus continues on here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. See, during these times, there were not safety deposit boxes. There were not fireproof safes. There were not mattresses, you know, to hide things. The primary way, if you had something valuable and you wanted to keep it out of people's radar and away from them, is you buried it under the ground. Under the ground. How do I keep it safe? Something that I find valuable. You buried it. The utmost value you want to give to something. You bury it. So in this context, the kingdom of heaven is a new reality. If you found it, you would bury it because of how valuable it is. So this person, notice in his joy, not in his duty, or I have to do it, but in his joy, he went and sold everything he had so he could buy the land. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this next thought. He found such incredible value in the life that Jesus was offering him that everything else he possessed pale in comparison to the life that Jesus was offering him. Nothing on this planet compares to the treasure of the person of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, and what that means for you and I. And it is above all other things. It is the top priority in our lives. I think about, and I encourage you to think about it now, just the impact that Christ has had on your life the life of your family, what that relationship with him has done for you, your salvation experience, your, your going deeper with him, your times at church, the times of suffering you've had in your life, and you've seen God show up in supernatural ways. You think about all that, and, and the encouragement this morning is to not take those things for granted or let them just be a part of a checklist or an experience only. Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, our new life with him, our, our, it gives us all new meaning. Everything about that is this treasure. It's so valuable. And what a joy, what an amazing grace that should cause in us as a response. What say you this morning? What is your response to everything that Christ and that treasure and that kingdom and that way of doing things and that way of thinking represents in your life? Have you given up to be all in with Jesus this morning. Your finances, your career, your friends, your places, things that you think will make you happy. Are you willing to let all that go and embrace all that Jesus and his kingdom has for you? Be careful that you don't do just the first part, which I think is very easy for us to do. We know what treasure Jesus is. Some of us have been in the church our whole life. Some of us are new. Some of us have lost our way and found our way back again. We know the Christian message is saturated in our country. 
We know what treasure this is. So we bury it, and then we're on our way to sell everything, and we get distracted by the demands of home, children, work, security, financial, whatever, you name it. And the next thing you know, time is a robber, and we are forgot all about the treasure that we knew that was so important that we're supposed to go away and it pulls us away from the real treasure that we have in Jesus if Jesus is worthy this morning you came here and you sang and praised him if he's worthy of that worship and that value today he's worthy of that the rest of the week if he's worthy of it on Easter Sunday when we'll probably, like most churches around the world, will have the highest attendance you can think of. He's also worthy to be your most valued treasure every moment of every day of the rest of the year. And not just far off future. Isaiah 44, 6 through 9 says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah wants to say, this isn't me speaking, this is the Lord speaking through me, and this is what he says. I am the first, and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me. What has happened since I established my ancient people, and what is yet to come? Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. I want to ask that again. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. The treasure that we have in God of the universe, the treasure that we have in Jesus and all that he brings to us. Guys, there is no other. There's no one like it. All who make idols are nothing and the things they treasure are worthless so if you put anything in the in the equation besides Jesus I don't care what it is that you think will make you happy it will always end up in the same place empty worthless those who would speak up for them are blind they are ignorant to their own shame don't turn away from the best treasure you'll ever find to pursue idols that lead to empty places this imagery in this parable in this verse continues to speak of you know, are you all in with Jesus? Are you all in with my kingdom? You know what? It's easy to answer that question when you begin to consider that God is all in with you and I. Scripture even tells us that we, which just, it's, it's unfathomable, that we, you and I, sitting in this room, are his treasured possession. Malachi 3, I'll read a couple of verses there in a moment, 16 and 17. We find Israel in a very deep spiritual darkness. They're in a very bad season in the nation of Israel. Faithfulness is scarce, especially among the faithful, the, the church, the, 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 the nation, those who really wanted to follow God. But God promises that he will be loyal to those, to remember those who are loyal to him. Even in the season of deep spiritual darkness... There are still those in Israel still committed to honoring God. And these verses unfold here in Malachi 3. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and he heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. 
I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. God treasures you and I. We're his treasured possession. Moses is preparing the Israelites in Deuteronomy. Uh, we read in verse, chapter 7, verse 6, he's preparing them to enter into the promised land. They're talking about it. They've already escaped Egypt. They're on this, this, this journey. And in verse 6, we see this verse. For you are a people holy, separated to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So when we're talking about relating to Jesus as our treasure, he's already done his part in saying that we are his treasured possession. Later on in Deuteronomy, that same chapter, verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. And we're in one of those generations right now. Of those who love him and keep his commandments. This posture of God to us is amazing to me. You see, this parable could easily have been told from a different perspective. God, Jesus, walking along, passing the field, saw Chris Cooper standing in it. And he looked and he said, you know what? I'm going to go and give everything I can so I can have this treasure. And he did. He sent his son Jesus. What was hidden in sin and darkness, God has redeemed. He has purchased. He has adopted. He has bought it because he treasures us. His son would come to be born, to live, to die, and to rise again, all so that we can be restored back into relationship with him. The Hebrew word here in Deuteronomy means, the word treasure means trust, a trust. Such as, you know, a trust where you put money away, hidden for a future purpose. God is protecting us. He's guarding us. Only to one day as the body of Christ to bring us out into the open when the time is right to fulfill our purpose as his treasured possession. Being treasured, it shows us God's love, his faithfulness, his loyalty to us. And I think the point of this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it, buried it again, went and sold everything he had and enjoyed did that. Is Jesus saying, here I am. I am your treasured possession. God, the Father, our treasured possession. When COVID first started happening, um, and we were all home for those first few weeks and months, uh, Miss Jim would send lessons home, our children's pastor here at the church, and one of them was to write some things that you love, and Camden, six years old, was learning how to write and stuff, and he wrote down in his list, I love God. And I was like, well, this is exciting. This is amazing. I want to sit down and probe this with him. And what does he mean? What do you mean you love God? And so I was having this, this deep explanation with him. And I'm sitting here talking to him. And like, this is awesome that your heart is feeling his affections for God. And he said, Daddy. I said, well, he goes, he's just easy to spell. That's why I put it down. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't realize that sin is also easy to spell. You see, we don't pursue Jesus as our treasured possession, as our treasure, because it's easy. You know, jumping into his amazing kingdom has upside-down values that we are bombarded with every day that we walk out of this building. That says, put me first, my security, my life, puts me at the center of it. And we're bombarded with those messages. So it's not easy. It means giving up everything in this world to follow him. 
And here's where this message can get off the rails and go down a wrong direction, in my opinion. We can turn it back into about us again and make it legalistic. So now we're going to go down the route of you need to go home and you need to liquidate all your assets. You need to sell everything. You need to live the most poorest in this community and you need to go off and serve the world in a third world country. And if you're not given what you're supposed to be given and you're not here at every church service and if you're not serving somewhere 110% of the time in every empty place there is to serve in this church, something is wrong. And that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Okay? It's not about a checklist of I've done these things and we make it about us so now I can prove that this treasure is the object of my affection and love I did not have to give my boys when they were doing this treasure hunt a pamphlet a brochure top 10 ways to go find treasure I didn't have to motivate them with it was just the pursuit was the motivation the the object of their desire was what motivated them it's a natural outflowing. Their desire to get together as brothers and work out a plan at the age of seven on how to get their chores done and to execute the best way to be able to be completely focused on this treasure was because their object of their desire is what motivated that. And the object of our desire is Jesus Christ. All those things don't become have-tos. They become I get to. They become privileges and honors. I get to because of my love for Jesus to be a part of a body every week. I get to serve and love others because guess what? The one that I love Jesus, he loves to serve. He set the perfect example that he loves to love others. I get to give out of, out of the abundance of what he's given me because all of it is his. I get to do all those things, not because it's a to-do and it's duty and I've got to, or if I don't, I'll feel guilty and shame. I get to do it because of the one whom I'm in love with, Jesus, the Son of God. The object of the treasure is what the outflow of that comes, the fruit and the gifts. Never focus so much on the to-dos and the fruit that we forget what it was all about. It's about him. You see, what God really is getting to here is he wants our hearts. That's where in Scripture, that's where our seat of our emotions and our will and, and our conscience and our desire to, to do things comes from. And it says, if you, or if you really see me and my kingdom as true treasure, then out of the flow of that will come these desires. Scripture teaches that before Christ, our heart is wicked above all things. It can't be trusted. You see, what we do in relation to Christ is not just rooted in emotion, it's rooted in truth. And the truth is, God is holy. And if God is holy, that means he's perfect. So then how he reacts to us is perfect. How he deals with us is perfect. And when we, we deal with, with, with the truth of Jesus Christ, I am the way, I am the truth, I am life, no one come to follow through me. It's not just about an emotional experience, which there isn't a component of that, but it's about root and truth of who he is. And constantly, Scripture's challenge us with, please love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You have a divided heart, Israel. I want a whole heart. It's constantly from Genesis to Revelation, I want your heart, I want all your devotion, I want all your love. I, I want to be in this relationship with you. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I want to take out your heart of stone. I want to give you a heart of flesh so that when my spirit moves on you, it moves you in a way to, to be in a right relationship with me. And so we see this constant, constant theme in Scripture about this heart. Problem is, our heart also is so easily prone to be led away by the enemy, the world, and its belief system. Where is your treasure this morning? Do you give lip service to Christ? Do you do the duty things and think, okay, I've done my religious practices? Or is he truly 
the one that's the number one priority in your life and how you lead your life. Matthew 6, you'll notice this, this passage, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking about, uh, you know, to the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to eat and drink. We're going to take care of that. But I'm going to take care of the birds of the field and the flowers in the field. I've got you covered. And they start worrying about their material possessions and, and, and everything that's going on in their life and all the worries and things that happen. And, and what about the children? And what are we going to do here and that? And all those things that just worry and, and stress us out and give us anxiety. And, and he talks about all that. And he comes to this part in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And connect this to the parable. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. For a tre- the, the kingdom of heaven me, Jesus, is like a treasure in a field that you find, you bury, you go off and sell everything you have because of how valuable it is, and you own the whole field. It's about your heart. And this treasure, if your if you're treasure, and where is it at? If it's Jesus, then guess what? That's where your heart will be also. Let's ask ourselves this morning, where is our heart? What are we really pursuing is it Jesus, his kingdom, his, those realities, the things he stands for? Or is our heart somewhere else? And a person pursuing security, pursuing safety in and of themselves, none of those things are bad, we know this. But when they become a priority over Jesus and his kingdom, that's when they become an idol. You, we've learned here this morning the kingdom of heaven is the person of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's his upside-down thinking about how the world should work. And you know God has a treasure this morning. It's you and I. He's so much so that he sent his son to die for us. You're not junk. We are, we are, we are desired by God to be in relationship with him. Will you be all in with Jesus today? When there's a treasure hunt, just like with my boys, there is an urgency. And all focus is on that treasure. Now, every treasure we give time to is evil in themselves, but God must be our first priority, our kingdom. Where do you spend most of your time, your thoughts, your desires on? Is it on Jesus or something else here on earth? Do you really love this morning, love Jesus with everything in you? Do not be someone that misses out on so much that God has for you, waiting for just the heaven part. He wants you to be all in now, and there's so much more he wants to do in you and through you at your home in your family life at your schools at your workplaces here at journey church there are captives that need to be freed and he wants to use you and i to be a part of that there are people in misery all around us who don't know this jesus that we have this treasure and he wants us to share that with others jesus and his kingdom is so valuable second corinthians 4 7 says but we have this treasure in jars of clay not ironclad armor vehicles, but in jars of clay, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from you and I. This treasure that Paul describes here, Paul has had the light of God shine in his heart, penetrating the darkness of his unbelief, revealing his glory to Paul through faith in Christ. And Paul has finally seen with his spiritual eyes what he can never see in all his years of religious practice as a very good Pharisee. 
very good church person. He found it, though, in the person of Jesus Christ. To know God in this way, to see God's glory, and to be given the opportunity to share in that glory forever is the greatest of all treasures. To be known by God and to know God through Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing here in this verse, that great treasure is not kept under lock and key in a museum, in a bank vault, not any longer. God wants to show that to others through us. And he uses a, a jar of clay. Have you ever dropped a clay pot? What happens? It shatters. It's not a very strong thing to put it in. He's, God is deliberately choosing you and I, something fragile and really, to be honest with you, unimpressive, to keep his great treasure in us to continue on that movement in that kingdom. Paul says God wants to show that the power of his glory is from him, and he leaves no room to suggest that that power comes from Paul or any other human being. The power of the gospel, that message of love is so overwhelming that it is not limited by the quality of you and I as its container. God displays his power and glory by distributing it through us, just common human vegetables, that treasure that we have. This week, a song, an old song, um, I don't know how old it is, but it's been ministering to me a lot. It's by Philip, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Don't worry, I'm not singing. I don't sing. Y'all would all run for the hills. I'm going to read the words. Um, it says, your grace still amazes me. And I challenge you just to listen to his words as we sing our last worship song in a moment, as we head into the Easter season, to not just duty, checklist, did it, did my Christian thing, but to really ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and life and say, what areas are you not a priority? And make him a priority. My faithful father, enduring friend, your tender mercy is like a river with no wind. It overwhelms me. It covers my sin. Each time I come into your presence, I stand in wonder once again. Your grace still amazes me. Your love is still a mystery. Each day I fall on my knees because your grace still amazes me. Your grace still amazes me. Oh, patient Savior, you make me whole. You are the author and the healer of my soul. What can I give you, Lord? What can I say? I know there's no way to repay you, only to offer you my praise. Your grace still amazes me. Your love is still a mystery. Each day I fall on my knees because your grace still amazes me. It's deeper, it's wider, it's stronger, it's higher than anything my eyes can see. Guys, it is an amazing treasure what we have in Jesus Christ. Let's honor it, let's pursue it, and let's make him the number one priority of our lives. And I did see one more of my sixth and seventh grader small groups guys come in. I want to do a shout out to Carson. Thank you for being here as well. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We pray. Lord, for this message that it will penetrate our hearts. That, Lord, we will get out of the way and ask that your Holy Spirit examine us. Lord, I, it's so often that we leave these places and life and time and the things that we pursue just get in the way of really hearing from you. And so, Lord, we just want to right now ask that as we worship you and, and sing out these, this last song that we use this time to, to pray to you, to talk to you that you speak back to us and that we hear you, that the areas of our life that are not fully surrendered, things that we are pursuing that are outside of your will, the things that are, we're letting get in the way, um, Lord, they may not be completely evil, but Lord, we're giving them more attention than you. Lord, may you be our treasure. 
Lord, we praise you and thank you and, and humbly, uh, Lord, just are amazed that we are your treasured possession, that you would do so much to restore relationship back with you. So, Lord, as the weeks unfold and we head into uh, a holy week that is celebrated worldwide by Christians in every country around the world, that, uh, Lord, that we won't take that for granted. And that, Lord, that we will appreciate you and love you and pursue you with a holy passion. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.